Hiya, church. How you doing? You look, you look good. How's the chair? Are you comfortable? That might not last. This, I'm just telling you. Fair warning. This on the screen, that is not James Butler Bonham. But apparently it does look a whole lot like him. You see, James Butler Bonham was one of the men who died defending the Alamo in that famous battle in San Antonio. And according to the the Alamo's historical society or, or records, I forget what it's called, this portrait was hung by James Butler Bonham's family at the Alamo. And it had an inscription that explained that this is actually James Butler Bonham's nephew who bore a striking resemblance to his uncle, James Butler Bonham. And his family wanted that portrait hung there to give people something of an idea of the image, the picture of this man who died for freedom. Now there are also... No known pictures. There there were no known pictures of James Butler Bonham. So they had to hang a picture of his nephew there. There are no pictures of Jesus. But God has left something down here to let the world know what he looked like. Do you know what that is? It's us. We are supposed to be the picture of Jesus to the rest of the world. But what's that look like? Where we're at in our walk through the book of Galatians, Paul, he spent about two-thirds of this letter defending the gospel of Jesus Christ. That, That we are saved, we are justified, we are declared righteous by God just by a gift of God's grace. Those who believe that when Jesus died at the cross, what was happening is the punishment you deserve and I deserve for our many sins went on him. He was punished. The wrath of God that should be stored up and aimed at us was dumped on him and there's none left for us. And and then Paul has since said, now we've been set free from the punishment we deserve, from the wrath of God. We've been set free set free to love others, not trying to earn a declaration from God that's already been given. So Paul has defended the gospel that we're saved by grace, through faith, not from anything we do. But now Paul has transitioned to telling us, what does this Christian life look like? Like, what should we look like that's different from the rest of the world? Well, we should look like Jesus. I mean, not physically, but interpersonally, emotionally, behaviorally. But what does that look like? Paul started telling us last week about this dichotomy, this battle 
that rages inside of each Christian. Here is the battle of your life if you are a Christian. It's the battle of your flesh versus the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've been indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. And the battle for control of your life is the battle of your flesh versus the Holy Spirit. Paul told us, live by the Spirit and you won't carry out the desires of the flesh. Because you see, the Holy Spirit who lives in you, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is crazy about Jesus. The Holy Spirit like exists to make a big deal out of Jesus. To make those he indwells look like Jesus. To, to lead others toward Jesus. To glorify Jesus. Make much of Jesus. My flesh, on the other hand, is crazy about me. And your flesh is enamored with you. Your flesh wants to make much of you. It wants to make you impressive. My flesh wants to make me successful. It wants to make other people recognize, look at, pay attention to me. That's the battle. Who's the point? My flesh tells me the point is me. The Holy Spirit within me tells me the point is Jesus. Because the main problem with our flesh is our flesh wants to be like God. Now, you might want to stop me there and say, hold on a second, Maxwell. I don't, I don't want to be like God. To which I would respond, your flesh does. It does. And I can prove it to you. Because your flesh wants some things to be true about you that's only true about God. Your flesh wants to be autonomous, independent. No one can tell me what to do. But only God is autonomous. Only God is independent. Only God is all those things. But your flesh wants to be like God. Your flesh wants to be in control. You want to control what you get, what you have, what you do. You want to control what happens to you. And we live inside this illusion of our control. But only God is in control. He's sovereign. But we want that. Why? Because our flesh wants to be like God. Your, your flesh thinks it knows what's best for you. But the Bible tells us God is the one who has told us what is best for us. Well, we think we know. Why? Because we want to be like God. Your flesh wants, to be, wants you to be about you. Your ambitions, your recognition, your pleasure, your desires... Here's what we want the Christian life to be. 
I want to pursue all those things, my ambitions, my goals, my desires, my pleasures, but I'm going to try to be good while I pursue those things. That's not the Christian life. Because, do you know, that's trying to be like God. Because only God can pursue himself, his desire, his pleasure, his glory, his recognition, and actually be good. Our flesh wants to be about us. The spirit within us wants to be about Jesus. That's the battle. Now, how do we tell? Is there a way? Is there like a litmus test where we can look back on our day and say, which one was controlling me, my flesh or the Holy Spirit? Is there a way to tell? There is. And Paul's going to tell us about that in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 26. This is how to tell, like, which, what's our operating system that's controlling, that's running the platform of our mind and our heart? Is it my flesh or is it the Spirit? It's one of the two things. How do we tell? Let's read our passage, and we'll go through it. Verse 19, Paul writes, Now the deeds or the, the activities of the flesh are evident or obvious. They are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. There's our passage, and we start in, in verse 19, where Paul gives us sort of the bad list, the list of what he calls the deeds of the flesh. Um, Paul starts by saying the deeds, the works, the, the behaviors of the flesh, he says, are evident or they're obvious. Here, from this list, it's obvious that my flesh is in control when I look like this list makes it obvious. Now, before I go through the list a little bit, I want you to know this isn't a complete list. He ends the list with, and stuff like this, right? Paul just says there's, there's way more stuff that could be on the list. If you read through there, there's plenty of things that would make it obvious I'm being controlled by my flesh that aren't on the list. Murder didn't make the list. Although you might have a Bible that has it in there. Because over the, the history of copying this letter, somebody noticed murder wasn't on there and tried to help. And it got included. Because, but we shouldn't treat this like it's a complete list because Paul tells us it's not. So I'm not sure we have to go through. I, 
I don't want to go through this list and explain what all these things are because I don't want us to leave here thinking, if I can try really hard not to do any of the things on this list, that means I'm controlled by the Spirit because as we'll see, it doesn't mean that at all. But it does make it obvious my flesh is in control. All right, Paul says about half of this list The ones that are underlined on the screen right now, we could call these like the the, the licentiousness flesh problems or something like that. This is the uh, a list of sort of obviously immoral things. If you know anything about the Bible and what God has said is right and wrong, Paul says it's obvious that you are living by your flesh if your life is characterized by these things. The first two are about sexual immorality. The Bible defines that very narrowly, what is permissible, which is inside a marriage between one man and one woman. If I'm sexually immoral, my flesh is in charge. Um... The next one, this one says sensuality. This translation, your Bible might say uh, depravity. Debauchery might be your translation. Those are probably better translations for this word. Here's what this is. It's a very general word for all sorts of different kinds of sin. But here's what like debauchery uh, means or what Paul's getting at here. That is when I get to the point where, if I'm honest, I care more about my sin and how it makes me feel than I care about what God says about that sin. The sensuality, it appeals to my senses. That's what I want. That's what I care about. This is an ancient problem, not a new one. It was an ancient problem when Paul wrote this. Like, I care more about my sin than I care what God says about it. God wrote to Israel in the book of Jeremiah and told Israel, these people, they're not even ashamed of their sin anymore. I love this line. God said, they don't even know how to blush. This is when I get to the point where, hey, I'm open about it. I adopt this as my lifestyle. You shouldn't judge me. I won't, but I will tell you it makes it obvious which one's in control of you between your flesh and the Holy Spirit. Idolatry is not just when uh, I bow down to some kind of statue or I pray to some different God. Idolatry is basically when something else has become ultimate in my life and sort of calls the shots. Right? There's some other thing in my life that I have to have more than I have to have God in control of my life. That's an idolatry problem. Uh, sorcery or witchcraft, um, not a huge thing around here, though, though it happens. You know what that is. We got to skip about half the list. We get to drunkenness and carousing, this uh, definition, or excuse me, this translation says. Uh, that gets translated some a way that makes it seem a lot more sexual than what this word means. Drunkenness and carousing go together. That's just for, for us in our day, it would be when substances, when drugs or alcohol have become the point, like of my entertainment. 
right? I have, uh, it's not, um, you know, I'm going to have a a steak with some friends and a glass of wine, and that's not going to be the controlling, like, point. But when When alcohol or drugs becomes like, all right, where are we going to drink this weekend, tonight? Now we get to do it at the lake. Now we get to drink on the golf course. Now we get to drink at this person's house. But that's sort of the point. That's what Paul is talking about here. The carousing part. We know what drunkenness is. All that stuff makes it obvious that my flesh is my operating system. I am living for me. I've bought that bad definition of freedom that we talked about a few weeks ago, where freedom is I get to do whatever I feel like doing. God has to forgive me anyway. And we we debunked that a couple of weeks ago. You can go back and listen to that sermon, but that's not freedom. It's bondage. But that is when my my flesh just wants to pursue what it what it feels like will give me more, more happiness, more fun, more joy, uh, more satisfaction. It doesn't work, but it's easy to believe it will. Paul says, it's obvious which one is in control, your flesh or your spirit, if that characterizes your life. Now, the other half of this list is a little trickier. The other half of this list in the middle, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying. This chunk, it's about half the list, but it's stuff that just doesn't seem all that bad, all that immoral. It's stuff that that does not receive as much sort of hatred from the church generally. Because these things aren't on my list of things that I have disdain for. But they are on Paul's list of what makes it obvious that your flesh is in control. Within this, a lot of these words, the reason they make it obvious my flesh is in control is because a lot of these words... These describe things that I will do when what I really want to do is sort of raise me up in comparison to someone else whom I put down or lower. I must increase, they must decrease, right? Enmities, strife, that's, I'm, a, I'm a fighter. Uh, um, I'm kind of angry, uh, biting, Paul called it a week or two ago. Why I am trying to convince you, me, and others I am right, you are wrong, because my flesh wants to be more, better. Same thing for dissensions, factions. That is when not only do I want to win over you, I want to convince other people to side with me against you. This word, this, it gets translated disputes here. Your Bible might say selfish ambition, which I like better. The reason it's hard to translate, it's a Greek word that someone used, we would say that somebody uses this if they're running for office. But anytime I am seeking a position, 
because of the way it will make me look to others. That's, that's this word, this selfish ambition. It raises me up. That's what my flesh wants. I want to be something, someone. Envy and jealousy, both those words show up on this list. If you glance down at verse 26, it shows up again. The word for envy shows up again. Three times in this passage, Paul uses envy and jealousy. And those things mean the same thing. It's, it's very interesting to me that Paul says that three times when that's not something we think is all that bad. I don't think Paul had forgotten he'd written it twice already. Here's why this envy and jealousy makes it obvious that my flesh is like my operating system. My flesh is in control. Because when I am, when I am struggling with being jealous, being envious, I cannot, I cannot love someone else when I am jealous, even if I'm not jealous of them. Because when I'm struggling with jealousy and envy, I am about me getting what I need to stop feeling like this. I need to get more so I don't feel like this because I want to be somebody, something. I want to be impressive and I'm jealous of someone that has that thing. And if I get that thing, I'll stop feeling like this. But that's all about me. As I mentioned last week, it is also, envy and jealousy is also me telling God, you are misusing your sovereignty. <laughs> You're not doing a very good job handling your sovereignty right now, or else I would have more of this or that that I want. Ah, outbursts of anger make it obvious that I am controlled by my flesh. Folks, it's pretty easy to convince ourselves. It's maybe easy to convince one or two others who you are close to, but it's that my outbursts of anger are actually righteous. We, have, we even use the term righteous anger. but we cannot scratch it off this list. You know what Paul is saying about your outbursts of anger and my outbursts of anger? It makes it obvious that my flesh is what is in control. I'm not being controlled by the Holy Spirit. We can try to convince ourselves in all kinds of ways. One of my favorites we like to use, you know, you know the story in the Gospels where Jesus went in the temple and he, he got angry and he overturned tables and he drove out some, uh, the, some people who were misusing his house, right, to make money. Sometimes that one gets thrown around. See, Jesus got angry. So what? <laughs> that gives you and me license to uh, say terrible things to someone I'm biblically mandated to love. I should tell myself this, when I get to be God, I can run people out of the temple that no longer exists. That's the only way I should use that example for myself. Family, 
I want to tell you my outbursts of anger just means my flesh is in control of me. And I want to tell you that's true about you too. These are the sneaky ones. In fact, many of us have read Galatians in our, if you do the Bible through a year thing, you don't even remember these things are on the list. You know why? Because they're the ones you struggle with. <laughs> Me too. These things are sneaky because they don't seem as bad. They don't feel as bad. But they're also sneaky because we can hold to a lot of other behavioral obedience and think that means we're spiritual. Right? We can go through the rest of the list. You know what? I am faithful to one person that I'm already married to. I don't drink, or I don't drink to excess. I've, I've mastered foul language. I don't get angry and cuss anymore. And listen, those are good things that can show some real spiritual growth, especially if those are things you used to struggle with. But we can have all kinds of sins. We don't sin. But if our lives are characterized by that stuff, that's underlined right now, then you and I need to hear something. We're not spiritual. We're just as carnal as the person who's controlled by sexual immorality and alcoholism. And Paul says, it's obvious. I might be able to hide it from me, but I shouldn't be able to. And then Paul says something mildly terrifying. He says, I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you before, Galatians. We've talked about this before. He says to him, those of you who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, here's what that cannot mean. It cannot mean if you do or have done or struggle with some of the stuff on that list, you're not going to heaven until you quit it. Because Paul spent the first two-thirds of this book disproving that very thing. So what's it mean? Some people try to get around it saying, well, those of you who continually do it. I don't think that helps very much. If we're honest, it certainly doesn't fit with the first two-thirds of the book. Here's what I think Paul means. You know, when Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he told them, flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul's writing to people who are struggling with the idea that salvation is from a free gift of God's grace through Christ alone, by faith alone. He's writing to people who want to help their salvation. I want God to be pleased with me because of me. 
Paul says, yeah, but here's what you look like. (laughs) Here's what your flesh looks like. Here's what your efforts will look like. Your efforts might be licentious, and they might be those more obviously immoral things, or they might be legalistic, which which may make you a fighter which may make you angry, which may make you dissent, uh, you know, someone who's involved in dissensions and strife and all those things. But if you look hard enough at your flesh, that's what it's going to look like. This is Paul saying, do you really want your standing before God to come from your efforts? Because that's what they'll look like. And that stuff doesn't get in. Praise be to God, we have something more dependable for God to base his opinion of us upon. It is the finished work of Jesus Christ at the cross. Now, that being said, if your life is characterized mostly by that stuff, and there's devoid of the stuff we're going to talk about next, please ask yourself some very serious questions. Starting with this one, what do I believe about Jesus, about God, about the Bible, about what he says is best for me? When we accept Christ, when he becomes our Lord, when we begin to relent to his lordship, his desires over and above mine, some things start to happen inside of us that start to come out. And Paul calls that the fruit of the Spirit. When we believe in Jesus Christ, when we relent to the Spirit's control, we change. We change. And some heart positions, some qualities start to come out of us. And before we look at this list, I just want to look at what Paul calls it is the fruit of the Spirit. If you compare that to the previous list that was just on the screen, Paul called that stuff the works of the flesh, the activities. He calls this fruit. Here's the thing about fruit, and, I, and Paul uses a metaphor here intentionally. Here's the thing about fruit. It's kind of a miracle, if you think about it. Like, fruit just sort of happens I love peaches. It's the right time of the year for Lions Club peaches. If you're in the rotary or whatever, I'm sorry that I, you know, I like the peaches. Uh, Here's the thing about a a, a peach tree. The the idea that that tree, like it's hard. You can't really eat it. But you just wait. and, And all of a sudden it produces this magnificent peach. It's incredible. It's miraculous. And the thing about a, 
grower of peaches, the only thing he or she can do is sort of have the right kind of tree in the right conditions and wait. You can't manufacture a peach, right? We can't make them. That's why why Paul calls this stuff the fruit of the Spirit. Because it's not a list of stuff you better start trying to do. It's a list of stuff that happens when the Holy Spirit becomes our operating system. It's what happens. And pay attention also, it's called the fruit of the Spirit, singular. The previous list was the works, and there's lots of different works. It's not even a complete list. But this, there's some symmetry to this list. This is the fruit, the whole thing. This isn't a menu. When the Holy Spirit is my operating system, when I am submitted and He is in control, all that stuff will just start coming out of me. It's what He does. And it's a miracle too. Listen, in those precious moments when I am patient, it's a miracle. It's not way to go, Maxwell. It is the Holy Spirit is a miracle worker. But we get the, this isn't a menu. We don't get to say, you know what? I am the variety of Christian that grows. I grow faithfulness and self-control pretty good. But you know, I don't do patience. I don't do kindness. That's just not me. I'm not that variety of tree. Baloney. The only, the only kind of tree there is, is in a Christian that grows this kind. The only condition for that growth is you and me submitted to the Holy Spirit who is within us. And this stuff starts to appear. And you know, one other thing about fruit, it is supposed to be enjoyed by other people. We also don't get to say, oh, I have this stuff inside. Well, Peach trees don't eat their own peaches. They grow them for others. Paul starts the fruit of the Spirit with love, intentionally so. It's Paul's main thing. He's already mentioned to us about love. When the Holy Spirit is in control of me, I know that I am loved by the God of the universe, completely, eternally. And he starts to turn me into someone who loves like he loved. I want to see what God says is best happening in someone else's life. What God says is best. That's love. When I understand I am loved, I I receive joy that just starts to grow in me. Joy has been called holy optimism. I like that. It's not happiness. It's this holy, this set-apart optimism. My joy is based on the the God of the universe loves me and he has promised me this everything for all of eternity. My joy comes from this truth. This world cannot take from me anywhere close to what I've already been guaranteed for all of eternity. That puts my joy back here where the world can't get to it. You can hurt me. 
You can make me cry. You can make me mourn. You can make me scared. But you can't take my joy. When I understand I am loved, when my joy is where it's supposed to be, in in my living hope, Peter calls it, the result of that is peace. We We all want all these things. We all want peace. We just have some terrible ideas of of what it would take for us to feel it. The Christian's peace, sense of peace, shalom, well-being is not dependent upon his or her circumstances, but the love with which we are loved and the joy that the world can't get at. That's what gives us our peace. We think there's some things making me unhappy And if I can control those, if I can change those, if I can get away from those, if I can manipulate those, get them the way I want, I'll finally feel some peace. No, you won't. No, you won't. The peace that grows inside of us when the Holy Spirit is in control is always there. I can probably skip patience because none of us have any problems with that one. Except some of you have grown impatient with the length of this sermon already. Why does the Holy Spirit being in control of me make me more patient? Because I'm walking with the God of eternity. I'm being held by the one who lives outside of time. My peace is set with Him and my joy is there. So now, that stuff I used to think I had to have, I'm not so impatient for because I have far better. Even though in some sense I'm waiting for all of it. Also, the way I've been loved is by a God who's been incredibly patient with me. He's still patient with me. We know what these next things are. You know what it means to be kind, good, faithful toward God and toward others with whom you are in relationship. Gentle, self-controlled. We know what they are. When I am walking with the Spirit, when I'm not controlled by my own flesh, like This seems so elementary. It's like Soap's first day of Sunday school in kindergarten. But when the Spirit's in control of me, I'll be kind. Like, I'll be nice. When did we get to the point where we thought we got old enough, we don't have to be nice anymore? We'll be gentle. Where do we get the idea that standing up for God means I'm kind of a jerk? Online too. We go back another slide. That just shows obviously who my operating system is, and it's me.
the Holy Spirit gives us self-control. I don't lose control when I'm under His control. This, this is what the portrait of Jesus Christ hanging in our hearts is supposed to look like. Paul doesn't give us, when he, he was ready to show us what it looks like when we're a Christian, he doesn't give us a list of things to do, a list of bad things to avoid, so we can work really hard at doing those things and say, look, now I'm doing it. No. We can do lots of that stuff in our flesh. He says when the Holy Spirit's in the control, that's what you will look like because that's what Jesus looks like. Family, I care about you enough to say this. You can serve in a church. You can serve your neighbors. You can serve in the community. You can do lots of good things. But if your heart, if your attitude, if your words, if your behavior aren't characterized by these things, you need to hear something. You're not spiritual. I won't tell you that it, does, it means you're not redeemed. That's between you and the Lord. But I will tell you it's obvious you're losing the battle with your flesh. And you don't look like Jesus. And you're not standing up for him. You're standing up for you. Paul comes to some conclusions in the last three verses. In verse 24, he reminds us of something really important. He says, now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Here's what's really important about that verse. Um, we cannot change our flesh, and that's not what we're trying to do. We're not here trying to whip our flesh into shape. We're not here trying to change, control our flesh. We're trying to crucify it. Kill it, bury it, and turn over control to the Holy Spirit. Maybe the most important verse in the whole book is this one. This is like the theme of the whole book. The main idea, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ, so it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's still what he's talking about today. Do you see how? I, Paul says, th th those who are under control of the Holy Spirit, we've crucified the flesh. We were crucified with Christ so that now the life I live, it's no longer me living by my efforts. It's the righteousness of, of, of Christ showing toward God. I get his record of righteousness and now the life I live in this body I have is just won by faith in the Son of God. He loved me. He gave himself for me. I love him back. I want to give myself to him. It's what's best for me. That's the whole thing. And when I do that well, I will look like the fruit of the Spirit. Verse 25, he says, I know most of our translations have the word if first. I would translate that since 
Since we live by the Spirit, then let's walk by the Spirit. Since it is true that after I believed in Christ, I was eternally righteous. This is the old Lincoln Berean slide we looked at months ago. My life is sealed with Christ on high. Right? I've been sealed with the Holy Spirit inside my, my body, my soul. Since that's true, then let's live like that. Let's walk by the same Spirit who saved us. That's what's best. Brief time out here. I want you to answer this for you. Do you believe you are redeemed? You're saved? Do you believe that when Jesus died on the cross, he died under the punishment you deserved in your place? Do you believe that can be true no matter what circumstances you are living in? Is that true about you in the circumstances you are in, no matter how painful, rough, terrible it is? Is that true? If it's not true, please see me about what that means. I don't have time right now, but I want to talk to you. If that's true, do you believe you have been indwelt with the Holy Spirit who lives in you no matter what situation in which you are living? Is that true? Yes. So now answer this one. Should that same Holy Spirit be bearing his fruit out of your life in the circumstances and situations in which you live? The answer, that's yes. I don't get to say, I don't look like that because, and then point at someone else. No one else is stronger than the Holy Spirit of God. The only thing that can choke the fruit of the Spirit out of my life is me giving my flesh the reins. And finally, he returns to that list of the works of the flesh. Let's don't become boastful, challenging each other, envying one another. Why? Because it means I'm in my flesh. It will choke out the crop that God wants to grow from my life. That is, that is the lust of the flesh. How I want to be like God. I become those things when I am about me. I want to be more. I want others to see. I want. Let's finish right here. What is it? What is it that's. Because listen, the reason I told you this was going to be uncomfortable is because none of us are killing this thing. When you put that fruit of the Spirit slide up there and compare your life to it. It's tough. But now let's ask ourselves this. What is it that stops the fruit of the Spirit from sprouting, from growing in my life, to be enjoyed by other people? What is it? There's only two answers, two possible answers. One, I am not redeemed and the Holy Spirit doesn't live in me. The only other answer is my flesh is in control of me. The only power on earth strong enough to keep the Spirit from growing those things in my life is my own flesh. It's not my wife's flesh. 
It's not my boss's flesh. It's not the government. It's me. When the Spirit's in control, I'll be loving. I'll be kind. I'll be at peace. I'll be patient. I'll be faithful, gentle. I'll be in control. I won't have those outbursts of anger. And if that's not what is consistently proceeding for me, then I need to fight the actual battle I need to be fighting, which is the one with my flesh that stands against the Holy Spirit. Maybe, maybe, maybe. If we spend as much time working to crucify our own flesh as we spent trying to control the things we think make us act like that list of the flesh, maybe if we spent enough time trying to crucify my flesh and turn over control of the Holy Spirit, maybe I'd find my circumstances are more livable than I thought. And maybe, 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 just maybe, someone might ask me why I am different from the mean, angry, hateful people in the rest of the world. And maybe I would have a chance to tell someone about Jesus and how he loved me and how he's changing me. Maybe that would be the miracle we all could enjoy watching him do with us. Let's pray. Our Father, we are fleshly people. But we have a desire to be people of the Spirit. God, as we have, um, as we've been convicted, have been hurt, have been pained by your word this morning. Encourage us, Lord, that we, uh, you, your love for us has not waned. And you want to help as we crucify our flesh and give the Holy Spirit control. You will lead us to be more and more growing a crop of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control that others will be drawn to like a ripe peach, that they will enjoy, that they will want more of. And that is the portrait of Jesus Christ that is to be hanging in, in our hearts. Have your way in us grow that in us, but not so people will see us, so people will be drawn to you, because that's what the Spirit wants. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us. We'll finish our time.